church. Oh, she went for it. I gave her the sleeping baby and she's still hollering. There we go. It's all right. Uh, Good morning. It's glad to be with you. It's glad. I am glad to be with you this morning. Um, And glad to be continuing our series that we're calling Tell Me a Story. And the idea of this series is, is really kind of a simple one. This is a time of year where there are traditions, there's family time together, and good and bad, it can be frustrating. But one of the things that um, I think is consistent in our culture is this, this idea of like sitting down in front of a fire, curling up in somebody's lap and just saying, hey, tell me a story, and, and telling an old story, something that we're all kind of familiar with. Um, and there's something about this time of year that it doesn't matter that we're familiar with it. We still just want to hear it again. And so the idea of this series is if we were to just crawl up in God's lab and say, hey, God, just tell me a story. Um, he would share with us something that is familiar to us, probably something that we've probably heard before. But as, as he tells it again, maybe there's something new in there that we haven't ever seen. Maybe there's a challenge there um, that we're unfamiliar with. And so that's really the picture of this series. Um, now the stage looks like I'm ready to set up a fireplace and, uh, and sit down in a comfy chair. But um, since all of us would be sleeping then, um, we're not going to do that. But we are going to be uh, in Genesis, at the end of Genesis 11 um, this morning. And um, I'm going to pray before we get too much farther. So would you pray with me? Um, we're going to pray... <laughs> We're going to pray uh, together the disciples' prayer. Uh, not, not magical by any means. I say that a lot. It's not magical by any means, but it's the model of prayer that Jesus left for us. Would you pray together with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Would you give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So last week, if you weren't with us, um, we looked at a familiar story about Noah. And uh, that story, um, though typically when we picture it and we're telling it to kids, it looks like the happiest zoo on earth where the sky is blue and the rainbow's coming and all the animals are smiling. Um, But we were reminded of the reality of that story is that it was a picture of God's judgment on the depravity of man, if I can use a bunch of church words right out of the gate. Um, it was a reality that God saw the sinfulness of man and said, i got to do something about this. But then, in light of all of that, he still provides a way for humanity and creation to continue through Noah, in spite of Noah. And he hangs up a rainbow as a sign. Remember, we said there's a couple of parts to what's what we call a covenant. There are parties to the covenant, the people that are involved. There are terms to the covenant. And there's a sign. And the sign of this covenant was that every time... Uh, God sees a rainbow on the earth, he's going to remember, oh yeah, I'm not going to destroy all of creation because of the sinfulness of man. Man's heart hasn't changed yet, but I'm not going to do it this way. Um, And we realized that the miracle is that God had been withholding rainbows all this time. And now after the flood, uh, they're pretty common. Probably every single afternoon in, in Florida, there's a rainbow somewhere. So we're just up here, uh, out here reminding God of what he promised. That's what we're doing with our weather. 
So as we go from that story, we, we, that chapter kind of ends in Genesis chapter 10 and begins some of the juiciest parts of Scripture. So when you do your Bible reading guide and you're going to read the Bible in the whole year, when you get to Genesis 10, you're like, oh, great, another genealogy. I love reading names that I can't pronounce. Like, please, God, just can the whole scripture just be all of these foreign old dead people names? Because that's really what I'm excited about. And what it actually is, is describing Noah's family. Every time God talks about Noah's family, he talks about Noah's sons. Noah's sons were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And every time God lists them, he just lists them as Shem, Ham, and Japheth, which makes me think that Shem was probably the oldest. Um, But as he goes through the genealogy, if we're careful readers, we notice there's something kind of weird because he starts the genealogy not with Shem, but with another son. And Shem actually is the last in the genealogies as he's going through and describing them. And then Shem gets interrupted by the story about this giant tower that everybody gets dispersed over the river, and then it comes back to the genealogy of Shem. And like, why, why is this? Why does Shem go at the end? And then why does he get an interruption? And now why are we coming back to him and we're talking more about Shem's kids? And Shem has a son a couple of generations down. His name is Eber. And we're like, what does that have anything to do? Well, a bunch of language stuff. Eber is where we get the name of Hebrews. So the Hebrew nation are people who are descendants of Eber. So the rest of the story is going to focus in on Eber's kids, the Hebrews, for much of the rest of the story of Scripture. So what is the Bible? This is, I gave you all that background just to give you this, this small chunk. What is the Bible? The Bible is God's story about how he worked with a very particular people to accomplish salvation for all of creation. So, I wish like, that we had God's record of history for all of history. Like, How great would God's annals of history be if he had like, written everything that ever happened and we get to go back and just read, oh, this is everything that happened and it's written from God's perspective and so it's, it's perfect and we can trust it. We don't have that. What we have is God's story spotlighted down in on one family and even more particular down to one line, the line of Eber, And then after that, it's not even all of Eber's lines, it's all of these other generations after that, we come to a guy named Terah, and Terah has a son that will sound familiar to you. Terah's son's name is Abram. Do we know Abram? We might know Abram, but we probably want to call him Abraham. That's the name that he gets by the end of his life. It's somebody that we are familiar with. But Abraham was named Abram to begin with, which just means father, but he didn't have any kids. Kind of irony. Would you like to be named dad, but never, ever have children? And that's where we're going to pick up in, uh, in, in Scripture. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 11. And I'm going to begin in verse 31. And this is going to sound like genealogies. It's going to sound like boring stuff. But I promise you there's a reason why I'm showing it to you. There's something in the details here that I think breathes life into this story and maybe makes you, or maybe might bring us to uh, relate in an, in, a, in an interesting way. So, in uh, Genesis chapter 11, I'm on page 11 in the Blue Bibles here. Genesis chapter 11, verse 31. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. 
The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So, at the beginning, the reason why I read that to you is because I want you to see how God is working in a family. Because oftentimes God works in and through our families in ways that make us really, really uncomfortable. It seems like God gave a call to Abram to leave his family, and the family just, he couldn't get rid of them. And this is really interesting because Abram grew up in a household. His father was the head of the household, Terah. And so God comes and speaks to him, and he has to go to his dad and say, Dad, I'm supposed to leave. And he says, no, you're supposed to take over for me. You can't just leave. We're going to have to go with you. And so he's like, all right, well, we leave Ur, which is way, way over here, and we're going to go up north to avoid walking through the desert because that's it's just not good. Um, so they avoid walking through the desert. They walk up, up, up. They get to Haran, and Terah's like, yeah, I'm done. Like, let's just stay here. This is good. We're just going to stop here, right? There's a pit stop in Abram's life. And I've never, like, this was, this was the revelation to God. This was my revelation as I was doing my study this week, preparing for this, was that there's a pit stop here in Abram's story. We often, like, look at these Old Testament guys, and we're like, man, they were, they were heroes. They really had their act together. They did everything that God told them to do. And it seems like... Abram was trying to follow God, and he couldn't get his family to get on the same page. He couldn't get away from them. They came with him, and then they tripped him up. They slowed him down. They only got halfway to where God was calling him to because they stayed in Haran. God said, leave Ur. And he's like, all right, let's go. And he leaves Ur, but then everybody comes with him, including his father. And then his dad's like, yeah, we're going to stay in Haran. And he stays in Haran until his dad dies. Acts chapter 7, Stephen uh, is given a sermon and he talks about this. And it seems like God had to remind Abram in Haran, like, yo, this ain't it. I told you to go to Canaan. You got halfway and life's good, but it's going to be better. Go where I told you to go. And there's times where we (laughs) we come to grips with... I'm trying to live out my faith. I'm trying to follow God. And like, I feel like I'm fighting against these people that are supposed to be supporting me in it. And I don't want to do that. And I'm frustrated. And I just want us to see that sometimes God wants us to work through our family and work with them. And sometimes God makes us persevere with our families until he kills them. And it's nice when God takes care of that and we don't have to, because sometimes we like to just hurry that process up a little bit. These are, these are jokes. Come on, guys. <clears throat> Um, but do you see it there? Like, it's kind of a boring little paragraph, but I feel like there's so much humanity packed into that. Like, I've, I've got to go. i got to go follow God. Like, all right, we're coming with you. Like, no, I, no, I don't. Come with me. Well, yeah, we're coming. We're coming. All right, all right, Abram, you've gone far enough. This is, we're way far home. This is as far as we can go. And he, he just, he stays. But then he says, leave Haran. Like, like, your father's gone. It's time for you to finish what you started. And there's times where I think that we can get discouraged by some of the pit stops that we have to make, for better or for worse. 
there's times where we can be frustrated by the people that are preventing us from doing what we think God's calling us to do. do. But the question becomes, do we allow pit stops to become our grave? Pit stop's kind of like you pull in and you get what you need and then you move on, right? Nobody stays in a pit stop for very long. But a grave, once you get in there, you're done. You don't leave. And there's times where we pull into a pit stop and we get so discouraged that, God, I, I knew you were calling me to this and I never went that far. I only stopped here and so now you must be done with me. You must be frustrated with me. You must hate me now because I didn't follow all the way through. And God's like, this is a pit stop. Take the next step. This ain't it. You're in Haran, and life is good. You've got cattle. You've got belongings. Like, life is fine, but I have something better for you, and don't allow this pit stop to become your grave. Because if Abram stays in Haran, we never hear of him. He doesn't let God finish telling the story that God wants to tell with his life. Do we let pit stops become our graves? Which brings me to the big idea of the morning. Sometimes it takes us a while to get to our big idea, but we get it right up front here. God's testing is meant for our greatest blessing. The difficulty, the frustration, all of the things that Abram was going through, the testing is meant for our greatest blessing. Why do I say that? Verse 12, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I have something I want to do with you, Abram, that I will not be able to do unless you leave, and not only will I bless you, I will turn you into a blessing, and not just your family, not just your city, not just your nation, all the nations, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of the things that I want to do with you. And so this testing, this frustration, dad came with me, and now I'm halfway, and I didn't make it all the way, and God comes back in and says, no, finish. This testing is meant for our greatest blessing. That's his call. Let's skip a couple chapters here. And it actually ends up being a couple of decades. But let's look at Genesis chapter 15. Genesis 15, 1. After these things, a word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. I'm going to pause right there. Like, that's it. After these things, the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. There's times where we're like, God, will you just speak to me? Will you just, like, I, I need to hear a voice. I need, I need you to guide me and direct me. And, like, we're, like, we expect it to just happen all the time. <clears throat> but just notice that after these things, like, there was a process. There was some more testing and trials. There was difficulties. What were the trials and difficulties? Well, uh, you notice that even when Abram left Haran, Lot came with him, his nephew. His nephew comes along with him. Like, oh my gosh, like, why can't I get rid of these people? They keep following me everywhere I go. And he gets to the promised land and God says, this is it. This is the land I'm going to give to your children. And then 
there's a problem. There's not enough, <laughs> this is kind of a weird thing, but there's not enough land for the goats of Lot and the goats of Abram to live, so they got it split up, and it causes a little bit of an issue, so Lot goes off over there, and Abram goes over there, and then Lot gets into trouble. I don't know if you guys have family members like this, that every time like they go and do their own thing, you've got to come back and rescue them, but there's Lot. He goes off by his own thing. He's trying to make his own way, and he gets into trouble. He gets kidnapped, and so they got spies, not spies, but some people escape that attack. They come back to Abram and say, hey, they stole your nephew. He's kidnapped and he's going to die. So Abram starts chasing the guys who kidnapped his, his nephew across the land. And he goes and he fights them and he defeats them. Like, this is, this is more than I signed up for, God. Like, you brought me to the promised land so that I could go to battle to, to do this nephew thing that I didn't even want him here. Like, I told him to stay in Iran and he followed me anyway. Okay, so he's coming back from that battle and he meets this guy named uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the king of Salem, um, which his name means king of righteousness. The city that he's king of is called Peace. So the king of righteousness over peace is described as a priest of the most high God. And this guy comes out and gives him a blessing and says, blessed are you for following, blessed is God for being God because God's it. And blessed are you for following God. And it's after these things. It's after the battle. It's after meeting the priest of the Most High. It's after these things that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Chapter 15. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what do you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he, God, brought him, Abram, outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you were able to number them. Then God said to Abram, So shall your offspring be. And he, Abram, believed the Lord and he, God, counted it to Abram as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he, Abram, said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And I'm going I'm to pause there. So there's a lot of things that have happened. And now we get this, 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 this vision this word comes to, to Abram, and he says, look, I'm, I'm your shield. Your reward's going to be very great. And Abram's like, yeah, but I still don't have a kid. You, my name is Father, and I, I got nothing. I don't have a kid. Like, I have an adopted heir. There's a guy that, that is a servant in my house. Like, he's one of my best friends. He's always got my back. Um, but he's the one that is the heir over my house. Like, I'm, 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 I, what do I do with this? And God says, hey, look up. Look at the stars. Stars like Christmas lights because there were no, there wasn't electricity. There wasn't like a, like a town nearby. You didn't have to go out. So like you just walked outside and there's just stars. Yeah, number those. That's what I'm going to do with you. And there's a contrast here uh, that a lot of us like to live in. In verse six, and Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted it to him as righteousness. And, verse 8, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You said, you said you were going to give me this land. You said you were going to give me kids. How am I supposed to know? 
but I believe you, but, but, but how do I know? <clears throat> Does our belief outweigh our questions? And there's, um, I want to draw some fine lines here because uh, I don't think the questions are wrong. God doesn't ever rebuke Abram for having questions. He's like, look, how do I know? Like, you said you're going to give me this land. I've seen, this is people's houses. People live here. How are you going to give this land to me? How are you going to give it to my descendants? Who I'm saying hypothetically, because I don't really have any right now. Like, how how do I know you're going to give this land? It's a question. And God doesn't correct him for having a question. But Abram within himself has this belief that God's going to do it. And also a question of how is it going to happen? I don't know. How do I know that I can trust you on this? Does our belief outweigh our questions? We see this in Mark chapter 9, one of my favorite verses. Jesus is given some instructions, and he says, if you believe, your son's going to be healed. And the guy says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah, I, I believe you, Jesus. I trust you as far as I can go, but I still got questions. Would you help my unbelief? And there's a mark, uh, I want to say it's descriptive of my generation. I see it more in us than I see it in others, but it's probably a human nature thing. Where we let our doubts consume us. We let our doubts and our questions become absolutes. We say, yeah, like I get the God thing, but I still have some questions. And, and <laughs> these people often, you'll find them, well, you used to find them in message boards. Where they'd be like, yeah, I've got, these, I've got these doubts and I've got these questions. And then people would respond like, have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? Have you thought about this? And give them some reasonable answers. And they go, yeah, but I have doubts. I have my doubts. Like, and I understand having doubts. Doubts are a necessary part of faith, believe it or not. It's not wrong to have doubts. It's not wrong to have questions. But when you turn those questions into absolutes of like, this, I can't leave off of this, that's where you, you essentially shoot yourself in the foot. Toilets are necessary. All of us use them. We all go to the bathroom. It's a necessary part of life. But don't live in the toilet. It's not a nice place to be, and if that's where you're living, people don't want to visit you. Does our belief outweigh our questions? Don't absolutize your doubts. Face them. Let them drive you into finding answers. And if your answers drive you away from belief, that's where God is leading you. I don't think he's done with you yet. But it's okay to move away from belief for a time. But to just sit in the middle on the fence and go, I got questions? It stank. God's testing is meant for our greatest blessing. Genesis chapter 15, picking up in verse 9. He, God, said to him, Abram, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. 
Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Rephaim and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So here's the promise going forward. Here's the covenant. God, Abram says, how do I know that this is going to happen? He says, all right, go get some animals. Go get some critters. Not just critters. There were sacrificial reasons why he picked the ones he did, but it's, it's God. Anyway, he takes these critters and he cuts them in half. Uh, bloody business. And... He separates the parts of, of the animals and he lays them out. Um, and he's like, all right, God, I'm here. I did what you told me to do. And he waits so long that birds start coming down and trying to eat the thing. He has to chase the birds away. Like, <laughs> can you, like, there's times where we walk with God and we see, okay, God, you're working slow. I get it. And then there's times where we feel like, all right, I got an answer. God's doing something right now. Like, I'm so excited. Like, I get to see what God's going to, he told me to get these animals. And now he's told me to separate them and cut them in half. And now there's blood everywhere. And I've done all the hard work. And God, you said you'd show up. And now I'm here. And it's hours. Like, what are you doing? Like, I thought we were... I just want you to feel it a little bit. It gets dark and he falls asleep and it seems like he has nightmares. I mean, having butchering animals probably wasn't unfamiliar to him, but this is a, a, a strange day. And in the midst of his nightmares, God comes <laughs> and says, Look, your family, I've got plans for your family and they're not great. They're going to be sojourners, and they're going to be slaves for 400 years. But that's not the end of the story. Like, I'm, I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to bring them out of the place where they're oppressed, and I'm going to give them this land that I've promised to you. Which feels kind of like a backhanded promise, right? Yeah, I'm going to give you this land. I've brought you this far, but you're not going to see it. It's for your kids, and your kids, 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 after they've been through some stuff. I'm going to give them this land. And then God shows up. He manifests himself as a smoking torch and a flaming um, pot. Like, this is just a, a picture of God's presence. And he walks in between the animals. So we're talking about the covenants. So you need parties to the covenant. You need a sign of the covenant. And you need terms of the covenant. So here the parties are Yahweh and Abraham, but then also with Abraham's kids. I'm making a promise with Abraham's kids that this is going to happen. The sign is this cutting. 
I've cut these animals apart. And usually, like this actually was how they made contracts in the day. Like, can you imagine before you can, before the signatures are real common, before paper is affordable, you have to make a contract with somebody. So you kill an animal, you cut it in half, and you guys make agreement to the terms in between the animals with the understanding that if I break this, I become like these critters that we just cut in half. And it's interesting, if you'll notice, Abraham does the cutting and falls asleep, and who walks in the middle? Who makes the promise? It's God. It's only, it's only the smoke and the fire that goes back and forth between the animals. I'm going to do this. The terms of this covenant are up to God. He says, I'm going to make the promise. In the same way that I took my bow and hung it in the sky... I also am making this promise that I'm going to do this thing with your family. The, all of those tests and trials, the, the pit stops along the way, like all of this has come to this. I'm going to make a covenant with you. He, and he does it. He reestablishes it. I'm not, I'm not going to read it, but I'll just let you know. He reestablishes the covenant a couple years later after Abram has a couple more pit stops. He was kind of a king of pit stops and trying to screw things up. Great story. Uh, and God reestablishes his covenant and says he gives uh, the same parties, Abraham and his kids, with God. Um, and he, he gives Abram his new name. Because you're going to be the father of many nations, Abraham. Not just father, but father of many nations. And he gives him the sign of circumcision, which is a mark in the flesh, is a removal of flesh. And he says, you're going to do this, and all your kids are going to do this. Now, he was 75 when he left Haran. He was a grown man. And Jesus shows up in his prayer closet and says, yeah, you're going to circumcise yourself. <clears throat> I'm going to need some faith on that. That's the sign of the circumcision. And this one, he gives some terms to. He says, we, in, in 17.1, walk before me and be blameless. Anybody who's read the story of Abram knows he's going to screw this up. What do you mean blame? Like, he was not blameless. He was constantly trying, he was constantly getting into trouble. He was constantly messing things up. He was constantly putting his faith in his own ability to provide for the thing that God had said he was going to do. Like, walk before me and, blameless, and be blameless. Like, I can't do that. But he believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Will we walk with God in our testing? The testing comes. The shape of it is different for each of us. Sometimes it's family stuff either conflict or loss. Sometimes it's addiction. Sometimes it's arrogance and pride. But will we walk with God in our testing? Abram barely got a sliver of what he was promised. God said, I'm going to give you all this land, I'm going to give you a bunch of kids, and I'm going to make you a blessing but Abram went to his grave at an old age with one son. 
two sons, technically. That's hardly many nations. It says in Acts 7, he didn't get any of the inheritance. It says in Hebrews 11 that he, did, he just kept hoping. He died with hope. So what does that mean for us? There's times where we're wrestling with God and we're walking with him and it seems like he's getting ready to do something. We've killed the animals and we've set them apart and we're, we're there waiting for God to show up and he's just taking his time and it's been hours. Might mean that we need to be captivated by just a little bit of light in a dark place. Might mean that we have to fix our hope in the stars when the night is dark. God's testing is meant for our greatest blessing. So will we walk with God in our testing? Would you pray together with me? Almighty God, it's in your kindness that you even try to talk to us. And I can't imagine the frustration at trying to talk to people that really just don't want to listen that much. Lord, I thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your gentleness with my hard heart. I thank you for blessing the world through Abram by using him to bring salvation to all nations through your son, Jesus. The Father these moments where I'm tempted to just buckle up my own bootstraps and try harder, would you turn my attention towards you, towards the work of salvation you've already done through your son? I believe in him. Would you help our unbelief? It's in your name we pray. Amen.